Welcome back to Radio Entrepreneurs. I'm Jonathan Friedman. Our next guest up, Tom McNulty of Lando and Anastasi. Welcome to Radio Entrepreneurs. No, thank you for having me once again. I, I always feel like I got to welcome you, Tom. You know, we see one another on a regular basis. It's always great to have you on the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I enjoy this. It's a, it's a good time. So, so you want to talk about something that I think is probably uh, all too common today um, and something that many people are probably doing unwittingly. Let's just assume that's the case. Uh, you want to talk about copyright infringement and utilizing uh, images and other types of things that people will uh, collect off the, off the Internet. Uh, yeah, there's been sort of an explosion of cases relating to this. Um, typical scenario is somebody's setting up a website. They want to, you know, decorate the background with images related to whatever it is they're, you know, whatever goods or services they're selling. Uh, sometimes you see it come up in the context of, you know, people sharing, uh, uh, you know, Instagram uh, pictures or Facebook posts, things like that. So it's it's kind of, you know, websites and social media is sort of the area for it. And they will go online and find an image that looks like, you know, it might be something nice in the background or something nice to illustrate something and just, you know, copy it and paste it onto their website or into their social media without really thinking about uh, any of the intellectual property rights that go with it. <clears throat> um, you know, sometimes it's the individual businessmen themselves. Sometimes they've hired a web designer or a social media, um, you know, company to do this for them. Um, and it's not the case where that image needs to have any sort of watermark that indicates that it's uh, proprietary of any sort. This is this is oh, just any image that you find. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's there's somewhat of a misconception that if there's not a you know the circle C or some kind of watermark or some kind of identifying information that it's it's free for the taking, and that's just not the case um, under U.S. Uh, copyright law. The copyright vests in the photographer or you know whoever whoever took the image um, as soon as it's fixed in a tangible medium. There's no requirement anymore that uh, that it be marked with a copyright signal or anything like that. Um, so so basically everything you see on the internet, somebody has copyright rights in. You know whether they will choose to enforce it or not is a different question. But but somebody's got rights to to everything that's on the internet. And where are you seeing the explosion in cases? Are they are there cases where and because, it, you know, again, it would seem to me that obviously, um, you know, if a company uh, has a uh, legal department that is protecting their 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 um, properties and or, you know, somebody that's looking out for that, um, okay. it, it would make sense. But it would seem to me that most photographers that are putting their images out there are probably don't have the resources and the means to track who's copying and pasting, especially if it's not protected in some sort of way? Well, I mean, that's sort of the interesting thing. There's, I think there's two things that are driving this. Um, the first is there's been um, considerable improvement in image recognition software. And there's software now that basically you can, you can plug in your pictures and it'll comb the internet and, and look for infringements, look for copies. Uh, so that's been, that's, you know, the technology behind that is, has dramatically improved over the last four or five years. Uh, and then the second factor that seems to be driving it, at least you know, based on what I have seen, is there's a number of uh, litigation firms uh, that have opened up uh, basically solely to pursue this. So they, they have the software, they hire a bunch of photographers, upload their images, and, and comb the internet looking for infringements. Uh, oftentimes, they'll file suit without the photographer actually being aware that an infringement was hmm. about, uh, which is sort of questionable from a legal ethics standpoint. Um, is, it, is, that, is that the equivalent experience. of it? Would that, would that be the equivalent of ambulance chasing? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it sort of is. I mean, I, I do want to say up front that 
I'm going to be critical of some of these uh, practices, but I, I do want to say up front that, you know, if you are taking a picture off the internet and putting it on your website, that is copyright infringement. You shouldn't be doing it. Um, so, you know, whether you like these people coming after you or not and think that they're doing ethically or not, um, it's, it is something that you've kind of put yourself in the position to have to deal with. And, and I want to be clear, it's not just publish, publishing the image, it's utilizing the image in any fashion or, or, or not. Uh, well, so, so if if I was to use it as a screensaver, um, you know, from for my own usage, as opposed to broadcasting it or publishing it in any way, um, is that a gray area? I mean, yeah, strictly speaking, you you can't download it and use it as your screensaver, but I don't think they're going to be able to find that. It's 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 more when you put it on the internet yourself. Um, so, like I say, a lot of times it's it's. Uh, you know, you see a lot of like hotels and travel agencies that will take pictures of you know, locations nearby as, mm -hmm. as, you know, part of their pitch to use their services. Um, so that, that, that's sort of the scenario where you're actually trying to not necessarily profit off the photo itself. You're not selling copies of the photograph or something like that, but it's really more geared towards like a sales pitch. Uh, but you also see it sometimes, you know, I, I had a, a client that um, he was building a new website and he just wanted some general kind of background pictures of the technology he was working in, not necessarily his products, not necessarily anything he was pitching, just sort of the, you know, the sort of basic stuff um, to be the background for his website. And, um, you know, he had somebody come after him because they, they took a picture that was uh, on the internet and copyrighted and, uh, and uh, you know, used that as their background. Um, the thing that makes this sort of scary, uh, you know, if you're somebody that gets, uh, you know, gets a, gets a notice or gets sued on this is, Copyright law, unlike most, um, unlike most uh, you know, litigation matters in the United States, has a fee-shifting provision where the prevailing party um, can be awarded their costs and their reasonable attorney's fees. Um, so even if you think that the infringement is sort of de minimis and there's not a lot of you know, damages to be had, um, there's this threat of attorney's fees hanging over your head. <clears throat> which can escalate rapidly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they can. And the other part of it is there's actually a statutory damages provision um, where if, if you can't quantify specifically what your damages are, or if it frankly just seems like it's going to work out better under the statutory provision, um, you can get statutory damages anywhere in the range of $750 to $30,000 per infringement. Um, if the court determines that you willfully infringe, that you sort of knew um, what you were doing and went ahead and did it anyways, they can um, increase the amounts up to 150,000 per infringement. Wow. Um, so a lot of times, you know, particularly from some of the perhaps less scrupulous uh, uh, copyright attorneys out there, um, you'll find out that, that somebody thinks you've used their image by receiving a lawsuit and a demand for $30,000, um, you know, which, which, you know, it's a big deal for people, uh, particularly for, you know, a lot of these images you can get on, you know, like Getty Images or any of the, any of the stock image companies. That's, that's what I was going to say. Bucks. Right. right. <laughs> it seems, seems to me that the cost of the image at a couple of hundred bucks is a far better investment than uh, running that risk. Yeah. Yeah. So I know there's, there's, you know, people get these complaints and they feel a lot of pressure to settle and to, you know, offer big chunks of money. Um, so that's one of the things I kind of really wanted to go into here is, um, despite the fact that there's attorney's fees available and statutory damages available, um, don't necessarily assume that there's going to be a big payday uh, for the other side when they come after you. Um, there are some, uh, some limitations on how much can be awarded and when courts will award um, that I think it's important to bear in mind. Um, statutory damages 
excuse me, were never intended to be kind of a windfall for the copyright holder. They are supposed to have some reasonable tie to the measure of damages uh, that, the, that the photographer would have suffered. Um, you know, so, so like I say, if there's images that are available on a, on a stock uh, image site for a couple of hundred bucks, you know, the courts will probably take into account the need for deterrence and they'll probably up it from there, but they're not going to up it to 30,000. It might be in the, you know, high hundreds to thousand dollar range for something like that, assuming you're not, you know, a willful or repeat infringer or something like that. Um, and the same thing with attorney's fees, while they can award reasonable attorney's fees, the, the sort of reasonable part, it has to be somewhat tied to the amount of damages that could reasonably be expected. So if somebody claims that they've rung up $50,000 drafting a complaint for a, you know, what might be a $500 award, they're not going to get $50,000 from a court. So, so it sounds to me like the, the, the message here is that there's, there's good news in that if you are um, accused of or guilty of, let's just say accused of, <laughs> uh, um, uh, copyright infringement that uh, perhaps the penalties aren't as severe as uh, some some you know attorneys may make it out to be. Yeah, they're uh, but, they're likely to the be. The flip side is you, you can you can mitigate all of that by going out and spending a couple hundred bucks and just paying for the images that you you're going to utilize and publish. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, there is one other thing that sort of comes into play with all this. There's a separate statute um, that makes it um, a civil tort to remove copyright management information. So, for example, if somebody's got a watermark or a copyright insignia or identification of like, you know, the photographer got her credit, that kind of thing. Um, if you remove that and then republish um, the, the photograph without it, that is a separate violation. <clears throat> Excuse me. That also comes with the possibility for actual or statutory damages. Uh, in this case, statutory damages run from twenty five hundred to twenty five thousand per act of removal. Um, that can be tripled if you're a repeat offender. Uh, repeat offenders kind of defined as um, having been found to have violated the statute uh, within three years of previously having been found to violate the statute. Um, it would seem to me it would be difficult to prove that that was not willful <laughs> if you actively remove a watermark. <laughs> well, there's sort of there's some interesting uh, examples of, of when it's not willful. Um, there was a case of uh, a company that was posting pictures of houses to the MLS listings, uh, you know, for real estate sales. And the way it worked was the picture was reduced to a thumbnail um, and put on the MLS listing as a thumbnail. And the sort of technical process of reducing it to a thumbnail, which was you know, automated, it wasn't like somebody was making this decision, um, just so happened to, to crop out the gutter credit. Uh, and that was a case where that was found not to be willful. Um, so, you know, if you do get accused of it, and again, don't do this. I'm not advocating anybody to do this because they think they're going to get off. Um, but if you do get accused of something like that, you know, there may be some uh, some ways around it um, or some ways, you know, some some defenses, I shouldn't say around it, but some defenses that can work um, in your favor. Um, you know, so these are all sort of things to bear in mind if somebody comes at you uh, with something like this. Um, there's also the possibility on the copyright side of a fair use defense. Um, there are instances where copyright law permits you to go ahead and actually copy somebody's work without uh, licensing, without payment. Um, the fair use kind of things are, you know, it's typically news reporting, scholarship, teaching, that sort of thing. Um, 
Is that what so, people historically would have thought of as public domain? You know, once it's out there and it's and it's you know sort of access, <laughs> uh, or is that that's different? That's that's things like uh, happy yeah. birthday. Yeah, <laughs> well, happy birthday was kind of a contested issue for quite a while. <laughs> um, public domain is when things um, when the copyright has lapsed. Um, copyright law, at least theoretically, doesn't go on forever, although they keep uh, they keep extending it every time the Disney stuff comes uh, close to going off. <laughs> Seems to be the driving force. Um, but you know, like 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 you know, eighteen hundreds classical music compositions. Um, the, the the music itself is not subject to copyright at this point. Um, you know, if you've got a if you've got a recent uh, you know recording, say of the Boston Symphony Orchestra doing it, the recording is going to be subject to copyright, but the underlying piece of music is not. Um, fair use applies to stuff that is still subject to copyright. Um, so, you know, that, that's the kind of, there's a, there's a recent case that involves somebody publishing, it was a Cardi B um, Instagram post, I think it was, um, that the underlying photograph of Cardi B herself was taken by a photographer who claimed copyright uh, protection in it. And uh, somebody had, uh, had published the, the Cardi B post as part of a news story about what Cardi B was doing. And the fact that she published the post and the contents of the of the post were kind of part of the newsworthy angle of it, and that was found uh, to be a fair use. Interesting. So, uh, as always, Tom, taking some some stuff that seems to the layperson to be pretty straightforward, <laughs> and you know, putting some context around it, always very valuable for our listeners, I think. And uh, if people want to talk to you about uh, whether it's copyright infringement, whether they have an idea, whether they've been contacted by somebody who's indicated that they've uh, uh, violated uh, their copyrights, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? And can you assist in all those matters? Uh, I certainly would be willing to look at any of those matters. Yes. Uh, the best way to reach out to me, uh, you can find me on, on our firm website. I'm with Lando and Anastasi. It's um, www.lalaw.com. And, uh, and you can get me at my, uh, my phone number, 617-395-7040. Excellent. Tom McNulty of Lando and Anastasi. Always great to have you on. Always great to hear your insights into uh, everyday practices that people might take for granted and uh, should be uh, watchful and, and wary of. So uh, always great to have you on Radio Entrepreneurs. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And we'll be right back with another segment on Radio Entrepreneurs. <laughs>